You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. Hey, really fast, I'm not going to take too much time with this. I just want to say I am super honored and thankful that I am a part of the body of Christ and I'm a part of an incredible church like this. One of the most uh, incredible things that I get to be a part of is, is church family every single Sunday. And the church family brings so many things to us. And so today we have a gift that is a part of the body. Uh, she is a home church pastor at Renew Life Church, an incredible leader, an incredible person that is on fire for the Lord, and she's going to share an incredible mes- message with us this morning. So if you would, would you put your hands together and welcome with me Mandy Richardson to the stage. Come on. Well, thank you so much. Um, this is my second time to public speak. Uh, the nine o'clock service was my first time. So... And I really don't know how to follow what just happened, so this is just going to be fun. Um, good morning. I'm Mandy. Like Cody said, I'm Mandy, and I'm so, so honored to be here today speaking to all of you. Um, Renew Life has been my home for as long as Renew Life has been a church. We actually started with Believer's Way, and to say I'm honored and humbled, it, I just, that's those words do it no justice, how I actually feel. The family that I have found in Renew Life, it, it, it's unmatched. And the leadership of Cody and Stacy and Braden and Leanne have just influenced me more than I could ever tell you. Um, I have been married to Scott. That is Scott over there in the red wave, babe. <laughs> I like him a lot. Um, I've been married to Scott for 27 years. I know that seems like a very long time. I am, I was old enough. Um, he, he was older. Um, <laughs> we have two amazing kids. Uh, Zane is 22 and he and his wife, Michaela, moved, moved to Midland recently. And we have a 17-year-old daughter, Izzy, who is incredible. I just have amazing children and... Um, we've lived in Midland about 12 years, no, 12 years now, again, I grew up here, but I don't really want to talk about all that because, you know, I really want to get to the word of God. I really have something amazing. I think, um, you all need to hear, especially given what just happened in worship. So I'm sorry, I'm going to try not to touch the hair, y'all. When Cody called me on May 18th at exactly 6 p.m., um, and I looked back on my phone for the timestamp because I wanted to know exactly when it was that I blacked out. Um, he said, I'm going to need to pull you out of the bullpen and have you preach on July 3rd. And I immediately, my heart said, no, thank you. And my husband actually had just walked into the room and he pointed at me and laughed. And I thought, well, that's an odd response. Um, but I, you know, I thought I was really scared. But this is a desire I have in my heart. I love Jesus. He has saved me and changed me in ways I can't even explain. So I would, I, as hesitant as I was in the journey I've been on in the last couple, well, few weeks, I really, it really has turned to excitement and I really do um, feel like this is a turning point in my life and I'm really excited to share this room with you all right now. 
So not five minutes before Cody called me, I was actually sitting and, and the Lord was reminding me of the time that he saved my marriage. And I know a lot of you might not know me. Um, you might not know my husband and I, but we, we have a pretty, um, I don't even know the right words to say. We have an extensive and devastating testimony. It is long and it has a lot of components to it. And we have come a long way in 27 years. But 10 years ago, we decided to start going to Believer's Way. And God saved my marriage. He saved our marriage in one minute. It was maybe less than that. We had, we'd been trying to reconcile and we had been trying to come together and find common ground, but it just wasn't happening. And I had prayed for a very long time for God to change my husband. I don't know if anybody here can relate to that, can relate to like, God just change him, you know, make him a better leader, make him a better partner, you know, make him different. Those were my prayers, and they were long. <laughs> they were, um, but <laughs> one, one day, well, it was about a week before we went to this particular church service, I just changed, I shifted my prayers. I shifted my heart, and I said, Lord, I just want to see him the way you see him. And nothing happened. I still didn't like him. <laughs> I still was mad, still had a lot of anger. But we find ourselves in a church service at Believer's Way and we're sitting on the back row because we were back row sitters. And we had gone probably three times at this point. No offense to you back row sitters, I, I feel you. Like, really I do. Um, but we were sitting there and we actually had our son with us. And at the time he was, he was 12 and he wasn't really sure about going into the youth yet. He was still a little hesitant. So he wanted to come into service and sit with us. And he, he did, he sat in between us. It was better that way. Um, we both needed to keep an eye on him. If you know Zane, you know why. So he was sitting there and we were just, you know, sitting in service, listening to Pastor Braden teach. And he, I don't remember what he was teaching about, but I do remember that he was, y'all have seen him preach. He, he walks and he's very demonstrative and he is extremely passionate. And he just kept kind of stopping. And I knew that he was thinking about something that he wasn't preaching about, but I didn't know him very well. And he just stopped and looked up at us, all probably 50 of us at that time. And he said, there's a woman in here who hates her husband. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> and, she, and he said, and she has every right to hate her husband. And I did. And immediately I felt like, uh, you know in those movies when helicopters start circling and the spotlights, like that's literally how I felt. And he said, when you walk out of this building, you will see your husband the way God sees him. And I, a weight came off, which was unexpected. But the, and another unexpected thing was that my son, the sweet, wonderful son that he is, looked at me and screamed at the top of his lungs. It felt like it anyway. That's you, mom! And I was like, yes, it is. So in that moment, 
God leveled the playing field of my marriage. He reconciled 17 years of turmoil, of heartache, of pain, of devastation. And it was, it kind of made me mad, you guys. I, I sat there and I was like, well, what am I gonna do now? I don't, like, I have no feelings. They're all gone. <laughs> and when I walked out of the building, our, our marriage was settled. Reconciliation means settling. It means coexisting. It means making, bringing harmony. And in that moment, God brought harmony to my life. He brought harmony to my heart. And it was amazing. And as much as I would love to talk to you today about marriage, and I would, because it is something that we're both extremely passionate about, seeing marriages healed, seeing marriages whole, seeing marriages set free, seeing marriages act the way they're supposed to. It is so important to us. I really do have a different direction that I wanna go today. I wanna talk about the testimony of Jesus, which is his bride. So if you would be so kind to pray with me, I need it, I need your agreement to move forward and bring this word. Father, I just thank you so much for today, for what you're doing in these people, for what you have to, have to say to them. God, I just ask that you use me and speak through me. Just come, Lord, help me. And also help me do this in a timely manner. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'll turn with me to John 2, and if you don't have your Bible, it will be on the Sky Bible behind me. We're gonna start in verse one. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. I have said those words, who else has? I'm a mother. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and then the guests have drunk well, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So my message is called, Here Comes the Bride. <laughs> it's appropriate, right? While Jesus' earthly ministry began at his baptism, where John the Baptist baptized him in the Jordan, he demonstrated that he was God at this wedding. He demonstrated that he was God at a wedding celebration. Jesus performing this specific miracle at a wedding points to three things. It points to the blood covenant, the ministry of reconciliation, and his bride. 
There's so much within the scripture. As I studied it and, and wrote this message, I, I just kept finding more, more gold, more revelation, because it's so incredibly powerful what is happening at this wedding. I really do appreciate Mary's part of it, I think because I'm, I'm that mom. You know, I'm the mom that's like, makes things happen for her kids. I'm driving, I'm, I'm really want to see them succeed and see them walk into the destiny and purpose of their life. And, and Mary was quite the same, but we're not gonna go there. I really wanna pay close attention to verse six, where it says that there were six stone water pots made for the Jewish rites of purification. This is incredibly, incredibly important to note because the Jewish custom of purification points to the Levitical law. So in Leviticus, there are over 50 laws that speak on, that create, and that move people, move the Jews into a place where they were constantly aware of what was clean and what was unclean, what was good, what was not, what they had to atone for, what, this was just their lives. They actually, um, let's say that there was a dead animal on the ground and they just brushed past it and they touched it. They were actually considered unclean and they had to go through you know, a specific amount of time of being unclean and purifying themselves and atoning for their sins. So if you can imagine 50 laws about this, if you were in the same room with um, a sick person and you, your child and you touched your child, you would be unclean. If you were a woman having her monthly, her, that you were menstruating, you would actually be unclean and have to go stand, like be away from your family, be away from everyone. And if your child or your husband touched you, they would be unclean as well. So this was a lifestyle of having to purify, cleanse, and atone for, their, for being unclean. It's, it's really pretty incredible that Jesus actually used vessels meant for purification to do this, this miracle. So ritual washing represents spiritual cleansing. We've established that. The laws surrounding purifying oneself were substantial. But Jesus using the type of basin created by a man. So these, these vessels were stone, so they had to be carved by man. He used these vessels carved by man and he presented himself as God, turning water to wine. This undoubtedly points to the blood covenant that is to come. Jesus dying for our sins and the resurrection we have and we receive from his sacrifice, all symbolizing cleansing, all symbolizing purifying of our sin, and all happening at a wedding celebration. Jesus is actually prophesying what is to come. He is prophesying with this miracle what he is gonna do. What an incredible plan of God to connect the first covenant ever mentioned in the Bible, which is marriage, to the only covenant in the New Testament, the blood covenant. It is no accident that Jesus did this at a wedding. The worship and encounter night, I think it was in September, it was several months ago, 
It was such a great night, and I, I was in the back worshiping. We have pre-service, and you know, we all go back there and we pray and we kind of go for, we look for direction for the night. And I just felt such a weight on that night. And I was standing in the back and I was worshiping, but I was very, I was very centered on just, Lord, what are you doing? Just trying to connect with him, not necessarily the room, which is something I, I usually do. I was standing there and on, you know, I was caught up in this vision and on a rare occasion when I'm actually caught up in a vision, I, I get very inquisitive. I start asking God a lot of questions. So he'll show me something and I start asking questions. So I think that's probably why the visions are rare because he's like, my gosh, she won't even listen to me. But suddenly I was taken up to the top of the screen. I was watching what was happening in service it was really amazing. I saw so many people worshiping and praising the Lord. I saw the band. I saw the worship rising, and it was so pleasing to look at. And I just thought how amazing for, for God that we were doing that, that we were postured that way. And he said, the enemy hates marriage. And immediately I start questioning, why? Why are you telling me this? What's going on? Like, what are we, why are we talking about marriage? And he, he just pauses and I felt a weight. And he said, he hates my bride. And just then, I saw this group of people that were all individuals coming together and, and there was no more this individuality happening in the room. There was unity, there was this, this coming together. Even the band was not on the stage anymore. It was just a beautiful group of people together, there was unity. And I realized in that moment that the, the, the purpose and the desire of our Father is to be unified with, our, with the body of Christ. There was unity in the room, which brought God's desire for my life and for your life. In the two letters to the church of Corinth, Paul addresses a notoriously contentious community. So he is, he's addressing the church of Corinth saying, the things that they're doing wrong, he's talking about. They're, they're dividing on spiritual giftedness, they're dividing on ethnicity, they're dividing on class. They even go as far as to divide themselves on communion. In 1 Corinthians um, 11, they, Paul is telling them like, this is not, you're doing it wrong. You cannot do this. And in response, he urges those believers to engage in a ministry of reconciliation, recounting how we have been reconciled to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He implores the Corinthians to be reconciled to one another. Just imagine, it sounds a lot like the church today. It sounds, like, it sounds kind of how we deal with one another, how we address other denominations or other beliefs. We have to start deciding that that is not as important as the unity between us. So we're gonna read first, or nope, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16. It's the ministry of reconciliation. Starting in 16, it says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. So if you belong to Christ, you're new. That's such a, a wonderful gift for us. The old life is gone and the new has begun. And all of this is a gift from God 
who has brought us back to himself through Christ and has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, so we can't either, and he gave this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. That is a weighty thing. We speak through Christ. We speak for him. Come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering of sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So according to this scripture, we're first to be reconciled to, to Jesus. And then we're called to add to the body. We're called to be reconciled to one another. So if we go back to what reconciliation is, we coexist, we bring peace, there's harmony. Those things are vital to reconciliation. When I first began to follow Jesus, I was really just interested in being a good Christian, you know, generous, be good, don't say bad words, you know, it, all those things. And all those are really good things. But the more I got to know Jesus, the more I, I became really comfortable and really aware and really know him, like you, like you know someone that you're in relationship with, the more I became so obsessed with what he was obsessed with. I wanted to be like Jesus, and he is absolutely devoted to his bride. He has absolute devotion. The bottom line is the testimony of Jesus' earthly life must, it must become the purpose of your life. The testimony of what he did is your purpose. There's an element to reconciliation that is so important to note here. When the miracle in my marriage occurred, it didn't happen because there were two stubborn, unwilling people. We were both willing to be reconciled to Jesus, or to our, each other, sorry. But there was that barrier of pain and pride. We had, you know, I was right, obviously. My prayers were, change him. He was right, wrong. But we had to both become pliable to the word of God. I didn't feel like forgiving him. I didn't feel like moving on. I didn't feel like it. I felt a lot of things. They were very real. The feelings I had were extremely real to me. But the fact that my heart was postured to God to do something, it made all the difference. The simple phrase, help me see him the way you see him. Your way, Lord, not my way. It gave God permission to act on my behalf. It gave him permission, and he needs that. God will not act without our agreement and free will submitted to him. So we have to love God. Matthew 22, 37 through 39 talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. It's the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God. But then Jesus goes a step further in John 13, 35. He says, a new commandment I have given you, a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. So he said it like three times, right? So what do you think he means? We should love one another. 
This is a requirement. Jesus is coming back for a bride that looks like him. He is coming back for a bride that looks like what he did. We have, we've got to do better. He did the very things that he expects us to do. So it's not do as I say, not as I do. He actually modeled the, the life that he wants us to live. And so if you want to know what Jesus did and what he looked like and how he loved, read your Bible because it's all in there. If we don't respond like him, we are actually acting in opposition to him. Think about that. So we're either aligned with Jesus or we're aligned with our feelings or we're aligned with our desires or we're aligned with whatever's happening. But we can actually take all that and submit it to Jesus, look like him and prosper. Looking like Jesus requires you to learn his nature, to look like him. Our challenge is to be known by other people for our love for one another and how we treat them. We could unpack that for days. Cody mentioned last week that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's in 2 Corinthians uh, 3, 17 through 18. It goes a step further to say, so all of us who have had the veil removed, that is such an interesting analogy of veil being removed because that means you can actually see clearly now. Having a veil, it, it stunts everything around you. It blurs it. It makes it impossible to understand. You're not seeing it for what it is. So know that if you're acting in opposition to Jesus, you have a veil. So he says, who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Just a little side note, if you wanna know what Jesus expects from the church right now, there are seven letters in Revelation. Revelation one through three, I'm pretty sure has these letters. I don't know if it goes into four. But Jesus is talking to the church. He's talking to us. We are the church. He is saying, I love this. I don't love this. This is what you need to do. And so if you really want to know what you're to look like and how you're to act and what you're supposed to do within the church, just go read that. It's wonderful. So Jesus presented himself as God at a wedding and completes his ministry at the final wedding. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. There is no question in my mind that he started at a wedding and ends at a wedding because he needs us to see that this is a covenant, that we, the bride, are a covenant to him. These two weddings bookmark this beautiful, this beautiful love story. It's incredible. Let me show you. We're gonna read in Revelation 19. We're gonna start in verse six. It says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. And I want you to just imagine that. If any of you have been to Niagara Falls or any kind of waterfall, actually, it's so loud. It's deafening, you can hear nothing above it. And thunder, when thunder is cracking, it's so loud. And so you're, you, we have this visual, yes, auditory visual, about thunder and waters, and it's just the, 
I can't even imagine what this would feel like, the awe that would come out of this. It says, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. It was granted, to, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus for the worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I know you've all heard that scripture before for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. But I want you to see here in this context is that you are the prophecy of Jesus. You carry heaven on earth in you. You carry the presence of, of heaven in you. You have the power of heaven because of who you are. You're the bride. You're his beloved. That's who you are. We get to be his testimony. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We see a great rejoicing in heaven. The marriage of the lamb has come. We've made ourselves ready. And we make ourselves ready with reconciliation. We make ourselves ready by becoming the bride, by looking like him. We have to start making room for people. We have to pursue people. It's our purpose to complete and love and protect the body of Christ. If someone is missing from it, it's not complete. So we all have this job to do. We're participants in what is playing out in the history of the, of the millennia before Jesus comes back. If you've been asking yourself what your purpose is in life, and I feel like a lot of you in here have probably been doing that to some extent. If you've been asking yourself, God, what am I, what is, what am I doing? What is my purpose? I really feel like today is a marker day for you. We talk about seasons, but the bride, who we are in Jesus isn't a season. This is a lifelong commitment to become more like our savior. So I'm going to close here and I would love some mercy on my voice because it's not like mighty peals of thunder and roaring waters. But I'd like to read something over you that just moved me in such a deep way. When I was preparing to preach to you today, um, I was looking for a good way to close. And I'd been praying, Lord, just give me the right thing to say. And Emily just happened to text me a, this song from the International House of Prayer in Kansas. And it's all about the bride of Christ. And so I listened to it and I, if any of you know me, I'm not a crier. So when I say this, you know, I, I was undone by this song. I wept and just, it, it moved me so much. And so I just wanted to read something over you. So if you feel comfortable, would you close your eyes and put your hands over your heart or just hold your hands out in front of you and receive these words 
from your bridegroom. My beloved, you don't need to look at your past. You don't need to remember your sin because I've washed it all away. As far as the east is from the west, so I have removed your sin from you. I've thrown it away in the sea of forgetfulness. I no longer remember it. It is gone forever. You don't need to dwell there any longer. I've washed you clean and my blood is enough. My blood is enough to wash you and cleanse you, so forget it. It is in the past. I don't remember it anymore, I have made you new. I've washed you white as snow and I've clothed you in garments of righteousness. I've clothed you in garments of white. You have the victory because I have the victory. I've conquered it all. It is no longer there because you are in me. There is no shame. My beloved, I have washed you. I have cleansed you. You are so beautiful to me. You are lovely. I am making you ready. I am clothing you in white, my bride. And you need to know that this, this, this morning, that it is all about the wedding day. That wherever your focus, that is where your focus needs to be on the day when I return and claim you. I am making you ready. I'm preparing you for the day. So don't dwell on the past. Look forward. Look forward to the future. Look forward to the day when I come and I split the sky and I claim you as my own. This is my promise to you, my bride. I am preparing you to shine. If you just keep your eyes closed for a little bit more, I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond. For those of you who are feeling the Holy Spirit prompt you right now, and I really do believe he's moving in this room. For those of you who feel him prompting you to move from being reconciled to Jesus, to being reconciled, actually to becoming an ambassador for him, I would really love for you to begin the asking the Lord who you need to start with. Who is next? Make today the day you walk into a ministry of reconciliation. This will bring you into your purpose. Lord, highlight the neighbor, the friend, the coworker, the person at the grocery store. They're everywhere. Highlight these people. Next, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I would really love to give you an opportunity to respond to the ministry of reconciliation to Jesus. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you have a wonderful opportunity. We saw so much happen during worship, so much freedom, and I know there are people in here that need to give their lives to Jesus. So just slip up your hand and be welcomed into the body. Be welcome to Jesus. I see that hand. Thank you so much.
church, if you'll just pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I receive the gift of salvation, bought and paid for through the blood of Jesus. Forgive my sins, make me new. I confess right now that Jesus died for my sins and I believe in my heart that he alone can reconcile me into right standing with you. And Father, I just ask that you bless this message, that you bless the word that you gave for these people, that you begin highlighting the people that they need to go out into the world, preach the gospel and bring people into the body of Christ. I ask that the multitudes start coming from Midland, Texas, that this is a marker day for Midland, Texas, that we move in from a reconciliation to you to a reconciliation of others, that we are known for that. Revelation 22:17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. And I just thank you for that, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.